and welcome to the 15th episode of Vasha's Thoughts. Today I wanted to talk to you about a moral life, leading a moral life. You know, following all of those principles that we learn about, the Ten Commandments that we hear about. Why should we do it? Honestly, because you see, this is a question that I actually used to have a lot and it was my secret question because I felt that I shouldn't be asking this. This was something that would come up for me when I was uh, little, when I was growing up. I felt that, of course, I know that it's right for me to lead that moral life and I can't even ask about it. But I was asking about it. And I was wondering, but if you think about it, what if you were selfish instead of being selfless? What if you didn't follow all the Ten Commandments and other rules that are sort of imposed upon us by society or initially perhaps by our parents? What if you didn't do it? For instance, let's say that you really like some sweets and your parents tell you you can have one sweet before lunch. And so you have one sweet and then you really want another one. And you're thinking, you know, one or two doesn't really matter so much. It's not like I'm going to get sick by eating two sweets. What if I take another one? And so you go and you say, can I take a sweet? And they ask you, did you already take one? And then you say, no, I didn't. This is my first one. And you have it. Well, as long as they don't find out, well, then you should be fine. Because it's not really that bad for you. And you will satisfy your desires. You will feel happier. So why shouldn't you do it? In some cases, you can kind of understand that something can be really hurtful to someone else. And, well, you shouldn't do that, really. But a little bit of selfishness like that... Ultimately, why not? Why shouldn't I be selfish? So, the interesting thing is that later on, I actually reached the conclusion that taking the selfless path in life and taking the selfish path in life can both lead to the same thing. But the selfish path has to be a smart path. It has to be a really intelligent selfishness. So you really have to be vigilant and understand how things impact each other. Because without that insight, you will be selfish and stupidly selfish. You will actually not be doing what is truly in your best interest. So the ultimate selfishnessness <laughs> is actually pretty much the same as ultimate selflessness in the end, in the very end.
So there are teachers, most religions actually, will steer you directly towards the path of selflessness, towards the path of following some rules and moral codes. And I think that's probably the easier path in some sense. And yet, I think that probably because this has so much been our inclination in society, that maybe that's why the other path may actually be more efficient and attractive for some persons. You see, very often when we go off onto the path of following these rules, we do so from a point of authority, like our parents telling us, why should I not lie? Because it's bad. Because it's wrong. That doesn't really help me. Especially not if inside of me, everything is telling me that it's good for me to lie in a particular situation. And then I have this authority from the outside telling me to do something without any real explanation. And then, even if you do get an explanation, even if you really rationally can understand something, then that still doesn't mean that there is no battle inside of you. Very often, these parents that you have as an authority outside of you their voices become your own internal voice. So they start living inside of you and they start dictating a little bit like a tyrant and sometimes even quite rationally, in a rational way, at least what seems like a rational way. I would argue that in the end it's not so rational because it wages war on you. And so it's not the best path for you. But these external voices become your own internal voice where you start judging yourself, where you start imposing rules on yourself that go against what you feel because this is what you grew up with. This is how it was done when you were little. You really wanted something, but you couldn't. And so there is an internal violence that you're creating. And so a path where you impose these moral codes on to yourself very often ends up waging war on yourself. And so this is why I would say it often becomes counterproductive because you want to practice non-violence, right? You want to be kind and yet you're creating violence internally because you're creating opposites inside of you that wage war. One says, no, you need discipline. We're going to work on willpower and we're going to do this. And then the other part of you says, Oh, but I'm so tired, but I don't want to, but I want something else. And so the principle of nonviolence has been internally violated.
You see, discipline can be good, but very often in our society, it creates internal war. And willpower is only meant to be used as an emergency mechanism. In case of emergency, use willpower. But we're not supposed to willpower ourselves through life. If you look at nature, that's not how nature works. When everything is in balance, and you look at it and it's beautiful, is there any willed effort put into it? No. It automatically, effortlessly flows that way. And so these moral laws, this moral life, should also have a way of naturally flowing from you instead of being imposed externally through discipline and willpower. These are tools and can and should be used, but again, only as emergency mechanisms. In situations like, well, you feel like murdering someone, okay, use your willpower, stop yourself from it. That is an excellent moment. But if you're in the right flow, that impulse to actually want to murder someone else will not come up. So I was thinking about yoga, actually. Yoga, as from Patanjali, has this idea of helping us to move beyond suffering, to reach a state of union, yoga. And yoga is said to be eight-limbed, like Ashtanga yoga, eight limbs, like an octopus we could imagine, who has eight limbs. And all of these limbs are essential. So if the octopus is to move in a coherent way, it has to be able to control all eight of these limbs. And one of these limbs is actually this moral life, yama. It's called yama. And this is the moral practices or disciplines. And so the idea is, how do you approach it? See, if you only approach it in a very reductionistic way, and you say, I'm only going to focus on one thing, well, focusing on one thing at a time can be good, but if you exclude the other things then really progress is going to be difficult. So let's look at these moral practices. Uh, for instance, in yoga, one of them is truthfulness, which I think is really interesting. I mean, I think it's so nice because it's satyam. Sat means being, which is truth, which is what you are. It is your essence. So sat being, reality, reality and truth being the same. But this being is not existence as a particular person. 
it is pure being. So I, I love that idea, satyam as truth, and truthful, truthfulness is really nice. So you have these different moral practices like truthfulness or kindness or nonviolence or maybe generosity or self-control. So you have these and they all seem different and you can kind of try to focus on one of them or another of them. But if you do that to the exclusion of the others, it becomes very difficult to practice. But if you practice them all a little bit, well, then there is a type of synchronicity. So imagine if each of these were like one of the suction cups on the limb of the octopus. Well, if you want to hold on to something and one of the suction cups is only one of them is working and none of the others, then it's really difficult to actually hold, totally hold on. So you really need all of them to be holding on at the same time in order for the limb to work. Yeah? And this is also true if you think about the different parts of it. If you're truthful, but you are very violent, well, then it's difficult for you to remain truthful because you might not be as popular walking around talking about your killings, who you have killed or murdered, or that might not be very helpful in your life. And so you might even be ashamed of these things. And so your truthfulness is likely to suffer and the same thing with uh, self-control or generosity. Anything or stealing, if you're stealing from everyone and then you tell them that you're stealing from them, well, then you're going to definitely very quickly suffer the consequences. And so then you might not want to be truthful. So they all kind of work better together. But again, working with just one is difficult. Working with all five helps all of them. But even if you were to actually align all of them, then you still in yoga have your seven other arms that you have to align. And that's kind of a lot of practice that is needed and the idea is that if you align all of these arms, then you have a much easier time achieving union. And this is true. But why try going from the outside? See, if you go from the outside, and if you go with the idea of willpower and discipline and powering through, then it's, it's really going to be a big challenge. And fundamentally, you will be waging war inside of yourself. So you will not really reach the goal anyways in the end. Because that very way will be violating the, one of the main principles. So what if instead of going from the outside, 
you actually had access to the mind of the octopus. See, the mind of the octopus can set an intention and say, we're flowing in this direction. And all of a sudden, all eight limbs are working together in perfect harmony. So then you create perfect harmony almost automatically. Yes, the octopus also has to learn a little bit how to use them. Its intention doesn't automatically translate into all of the arms working perfectly, but it definitely does translate into that over time. So what is that metaphor for us? Is that our mind? Should we control our mind? And then we will be able to work on all of the eight limbs of yoga, lead a moral life automatically, and everything else. Well, no, it's not our mind. Our mind can be indeed the tyrant. It can be the one that says, I'm the rational one, you should listen to me, believe my thoughts. So the mind is not the one to follow. Who should we follow? And, and how do we find this inner harmony? Well, the path is the one we talked about when we talked about the paramis. Remember the ten perfections? Paramis, where we were talking about practicing things like generosity. But practicing all of these ten paramis so that, and this is the key, so that you feel inner liberation, inner freedom, so that you do it and when you do it, you feel better for it, with it, by it, through it. So that it's not a limiting sensation. Because when you practice a moral life and inside of you, you feel that you're waging war because a part of you wants something else, but I want that sweet. <laughs> You shouldn't have it. No, but I want it. You shouldn't have it. Okay, I won't have it. But I really wanted it. That war inside of you is telling you that there's something that's not aligned. So the key is finding inner alignment. Finding a way of practicing generosity, for instance, so that when you give, you don't feel, oh, but now I have a little bit less. I really wanted to use that for something else. Okay, but I know it's better for me to give it to someone else or do that with the money, so that you don't feel that. Instead, when you give whatever it is you give, and it doesn't have to be money, generosity is so wide. You can have a generous look in your eyes. You can have so much generosity in your daily practice that doesn't have anything to do with money. You can be generous with your attention, with your look, with 
everything, with your time, with whatever it is. And when you do it, and while you're doing it, you feel liberated, you feel free. Then you know that you're on the path. Because practicing all of these other things while waging war on yourself is not a good idea. It's not going to bring you any closer to the happiness that you're seeking, the liberation, the freedom. So how do you do that? How do you align yourself? Well, there are many different ways. There are many different practices in your practical life. Of course, understanding that a moral life is actually better for you. Oh, and why is a moral life better for you? Even if you, for instance, can get away with your shady deeds? Well, because whenever you don't lead a moral life, you are automatically creating an internal disharmony. See, we were saying that, for instance, truthfulness is has the same root as being, which is you, your real you. But if you are lying, well, then you're going against yourself. And inside of you, you will be creating negative things, negative sensations, like, for instance, when you want the sweet and you tell your parents, no, I didn't take any sweets, even though you took some sweets, so that you can take more sweets, and then you take more sweets, a part of you inside will know, oh, this is wrong, I'm not doing this, I'm cheating them, I'm lying to them, I'm not being truthful. So inside of you, all of that, sometimes you're able to hide it from yourself. Sometimes you're able to tell stories so that you feel better about it. And you can do that for a while, but it's always going to be there somewhere. And sometimes it will express itself. It may even express itself physically as illnesses, as problems, as pains. It will express itself in the relationships that you have. If you have a relationship, a relationship where you're not being truthful, you won't be able to be your authentic self with that other person. And so the quality of the relationship will be impacted by this. And in the beginning, it feels so small and so insignificant. But then after a while, it's bigger and bigger and it becomes a problem. And in the end, a very obvious problem in different ways. So definitely leading a, a moral life will give you inner purity, will give you less wars that you're waging on yourself. But if you're leading a moral life through discipline purely, well, then you're still waging war on yourself. Then you might not have the problem of 
lying to someone else, but you still will be denying parts of yourself. So this is why the key is finding a way of leading that moral life happily, joyfully, in an expanded way, and wanting more and more of that. And the thing is, the enlightened person automatically starts to lead a more moral life, the fully enlightened being, the limbs start to automatically work more in that way, in harmony. And so a moral life will be that which they desire, that which they want, really truly want. And the enlightened person is the person who knows who they are, who knows that they are that consciousness. And so automatically everything falls into place because they recognize themselves in the world as the world. And so every person they treat like a god, like themselves, because it's all one. And so kindness just becomes a second nature. Selflessness, giving up of the self to the other becomes automatic. But that is also the ultimate selfishness because you realize that you're only giving it up to your self, which isn't a real self, but we'll call it a self. So what can you do if you're not enlightened? <laughs> okay, so if you're not enlightened and you're all eight limbs are not working, in harmony that way, what little things can you do to make sure that you do lead this moral life, but do not wage war on yourself? Well, you can do internal practices of alignment. And one of those, that's just uh, one that I enjoy doing, is the trailers. So whenever there's something that I really want to have accomplish, for instance, I really want to be more generous or more truthful, or I really want to have a particular practice every day, what I do instead of forcing myself to do it, instead of forcing myself to every day have the discipline of doing that, I start by creating a trailer, an emotional trailer, where I imagine that I'm doing that. And I imagine how wonderful that is. And I involve all the senses, and I can feel, for instance, the yoga practice. I can feel how every asana is giving me more energy, greater alignment, and I feel amazing, focused, present, 
centered. And I start with that, just that. After a while, this starts conditioning me to actually want to do that. And so then I start doing that. I actually do the same with food sometimes. Sometimes I feel that I would really like to eat a little better. So what do I do? Sometimes, for instance, I will look for videos online or uh, recipes online for some really healthy things based on what I have in the kitchen. And I watch this person with great energy and enthusiasm make these delicious things out, out of the things that I have that are healthy. And I want to do that too. And then it's so much easier for me to actually start eating healthy. So these are little tiny ways of starting to align ourselves internally. And this doesn't mean that yoga is not an interesting path. It definitely is. And especially if you can look at the different parts that you train in yoga, it's eight limbs, and see how you're doing in your life. Is there something that's not really working for you very well? Is there something that you would like to focus more? And if you find that there is something that you would like to focus on more, then the next question can be, how can I create a structure around it so that I will want to do this, so that this will be an inevitable consequence, so that I will align internally and this will be the outcome. All right. So I think this is it for today. This was a little bit about the question of is leading a moral life good for you? And my final answer is that it definitely is much better for you internally. But a key to leading a moral life is doing so without inner violence. And so, to me, that means creating alignment with all of your being so that as you lead that moral life, you do actually feel more free and not bondage. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you in another episode. Take care.